This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Homes built off-site and trucked to the regions is being proposed as a quick solution to Queensland's housing affordability issue. So is that a good idea? And would something like that work here in Victoria? Good morning, I'm Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Kirsten Diprose, as always, joining you from ABC Warnable. Kirsten, so this is Queensland's social housing plan. The Department of Public Works there has actually called it the state's most ambitious construction program since World War II. So it's housing projects using what they call modern methods of construction, which is what we call prefab or prefabricated homes. And all we've been hearing about today as a result of Infrastructure Victoria's report is how we need to think outside the square when it comes to our housing affordability and our housing crisis. Maybe prefab is the answer. Hi, Rochelle, maybe. Uh, We just heard in the news that it's out of reach, you know, home ownership is out of reach for so many young people, young families. And it's interesting that Queensland is taking this approach and Victoria certainly is supporting projects. Um, You know, the state government supported projects and there are plenty of companies, like a quick Google will, will show you the companies that are working in this space. But to the scale that Queensland is doing it, you know, it's a really important discussion we need to have, but there is still a bit of a, a lingering problem yeah. when it comes to, yeah, the, 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 the image that they might be a bit second rate. Um, and it's strange because if you look at Europe, so countries like Sweden build more than 80% of their houses using prefab elements. You know, Sweden's kind of like the leader of prefabrication. So it's completely normal and even celebrated there. Yet modular construction and prefabrication represents just 3% of Australia's $150 billion construction industry. So if this is a potential solution Mm. to our housing crisis, why do we have this view that modular homes are still, uh, you know, are cheap and nasty? And the idea too, I mean, the numbers are huge that you just mentioned there in Europe versus here. And I just think that planning laws are a little easier in different parts of the world where you can put homes on blocks of land, whether it be on your own property, on a friend's property, on local council property. And we have so many restrictions here. And we've seen that around tiny homes. But slowly but surely, councils around Victoria are starting to loosen some of those laws because they've seen that it can be a huge solution. So where does prefab, where does prefabrication come into this? And as you say, Kirsten, do we have an outdated view of what a prefab home is? Do you think about the portables at school? Do you think about (laughs) mining towns? And when people think, oh, look, you know, they're just a bit cheap and nasty or they're a bit ugly... I think that's an incredibly privileged point of view to have because when you even look at some of the more basic prefab homes, they just look like homes that I grew up surrounded around and that hung out in. You walk down any kind of suburban main street in Maui or in the Latrobe Valley, it's full of prefab homes. It's just what we were used to. So maybe it depends on where you grew up and, you know, what you have access to. Yeah, I don't know if it's a privileged point of view necessarily, Rochelle, because if you're really privileged, you're not going to be looking at prefab homes, right? And maybe you should be. Maybe that's something we need to challenge. But, you know, this option currently as it stands is is 
for probably uh, the average Australian and, you know, the average Australian, we're talking about sort of middle class people as, you know, not necessarily um, heavily privileged, but you're privileged enough if you're middle class. But I, I think there's this other kind of debate that needs to be had. If if it is seen as second class, then is it fair to, to say, well, you know, you can have a prefab home? The same conversation happens around tiny homes. Oh, so you can't afford a home here. Have a small one and will everybody, you know, want that for themselves? But yeah, then aren't we- you entitled to the Australian dream, which has been, you know, that brick home Does that with need the to backyard? change, though? Well, that survey that the Infrastructure Victoria just did said that, you know, new uh, homeowners, and many of them are young families, uh, are wanting specifically a three-bedroom house with a car park and a bit of room. So people still want it. Does that need to change, you know, the idea of what a home looks like here? And that's something, again, why we might see the difference between Australia and other parts of the world. So are prefab, prefabricated homes a good solution to our housing crisis? Maybe you live in one. And if you think they're a good idea, where should we be placing them? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne. Kirsten Dipros as always joining you from ABC Warrnambool. We know that we have a housing affordability crisis and that we have a housing shortage in this state. There are long-term solutions that are happening apparently at the moment, but in the short term, Kirsten, we need other solutions as well. So maybe prefab is this solution. So many texts coming on this as well. Uh, it's not true that prefab is cheap. They're expensive to build. Another says prefab and transportable homes are generally not accepted by home loan lenders. This is a major setback. And Libby says I'd love to put a prefab home on my block but the councils are horrendous. The delay process is out by months and months and months. Good morning. You're in the conversation hour. Uh, good morning. Jeff, Jeff from Sales speaking. Oh, good morning, Jeff. Uh, that was my text about the, uh, the home loan uh, not being acceptable. Uh, I tried uh, looking at a um, transportable home, a modular home and uh, the home loan lenders saw rent for cover. That's interesting. What did they? Why did they say that? Well, one one of their excuses was that uh, people were. Well, the, the thing is that the the home is not uh, on your block, and people were taking a loan out against the home on the block, and then putting the home on another block and leaving them in the lurch. So that they they ended up with a vote. The, the mortgage was on a vacant block mm. that wasn't worth what the house was. There's lots of different things that need to sort of change in order for this to be successful and for it to work. I mean, I think there would be lots of people that would agree with you, Jeff. Jeff, thanks for your call. This text, I'm looking at doing a prefab extent, extension on my home and environmental reasons are the main driver here. And another saying prefab is only the location of the manufacturer. It doesn't automatically mean that it's good or bad. It doesn't mean it's limited anyway. There's a lot of high-end architecture that's happening in prefabrication. And there really is when you look at how edgy some of the prefab homes are at the moment. We're seeing a huge shift away from what maybe people would originally think as being prefab. Yeah, and we'll speak to an architect later in the program to really get a better sense of that. And someone, the texter mentioned uh, in the environmental reasons as well, uh, because they are being created now with those sort of sustainability goals in mind. Tony's in Lara. Good morning. Good morning. I've been a councillor for Geelong for a long time, so I've dealt with a lot of um, subdivisions. When 
when I first bought a block of land myself, it was around uh, the 30000 mark, and a new car was roughly the same price. And that, would, that had been the case for a long time. But in recent times, um, land has now gone around here uh, over $350,000. So it's, it's not really the build that's been the expense that people can't reach now. It's the cost of the land. Mm. How do you and, get around what, that, Tony? Like, what would you like to I, do I, as a councillor? As, as I'm not a current councillor now, but I was up until the last um, council. But, but what I would do is actually look at a, a scheme between the state and local government on actually doing a subdivision themselves where they actually don't make the profit. They get their money back, but you would sell a block for 150000 instead of 350000 And that would give... And you'd make that for first-home buyers, which means that then they'd have access uh, for the first time because... I've got three daughters and all, all three kids are out of reach at the moment, yet they um, because they're paying high rent as well. Mm. So, so you can't, it's hard to save if you've got a young family, high rent where you're staying, and you've got to have 10% of, mm. of a basic house these days of used is about 700,000. You're looking at 70 grand to try and save. Is that something that you ever put forward at local council meetings, Tony? Is it, was it ever no, discussed? No, it, it wasn't um, because we're always just dealing with the developer more than more so. But I'd have to say uh, it's only been probably the last five or six years that this um, we've seen a massive increase in the price. I can't believe COVID actually put the prices up. And um, it, people say, oh, they go down. But I've, I've yet to see prices go down. They might stay steady, but they don't really come down. So. It's the, and it's the land, I think, we mm. can do a lot with working with the state. and, fit and Well, um, that's where the state government fit. can come in, can't they? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think Tony makes some great points there. Matt is in Ballarat. Hi, Matt. Uh, so I'm a, a, a prefab manufacturer myself, and I just, I just tuned in and um, heard you talking about the problems with finance uh, for prefab projects. Mm. Um, that is... That is true, but it, it, it's, it's changing. And if I can mention some brands, I'm pretty sure Australia Bank does it and Commonwealth are uh, starting to do it as well. So finance for prefab homes is um, sort of becoming... Does it depend wiser. on land, though, like what Tony from Lara was saying? As, as, as far as we're concerned and um, probably most other prefab manufacturers as well, it's really no different to any other kind of building project. It just so happens that part of it happens off-site. I don't see that the land would have any kind of effect on whether or not you could build a prefab home. It must be frustrating for you as a manufacturer to not have the banks keeping up with what is is happening in mm. Australia. Um, yeah, it is a little bit frustrating, but um, I basically contacted the Commonwealth and said, hey, this is a problem. Um, and they were interested in hearing about, you know, how to fix it and sort of got back to me and sort of told us about what they're going to do. So they, I think they, they know that it's going to be a thing. Um, so yeah, that was my next question to you, Matt. Like, I mean, you're now in this industry. Do you see this as the future? How long have you been working in prefab? Are you sort of trying to be one step ahead of the game here? We've, we've been developing a prefab system for a couple of years now. Um, and I think that the benefits, you know, are, are, are too great to ignore. Just the energy efficiency, the reducing waste, less time on site, 
yeah, um, you know, the list goes on and on. And I think um, that in the future it will be, it will be, um, maybe not in you know within the next couple of years, but within the next sort of five to ten years, it will be like a good chunk of how. Yeah, you know, of houses are built. Well, there's certainly lots of people that want to share their stories of prefab homes and whether or not this is a short-term solution or even a long-term solution to our housing crisis because some of them look incredible. They are just architecturally beautiful and they're all made off-site and they can be shipped to wherever's needed. So what else needs to fall into place in order to make this a real solution? Here on the Conversation Hour, good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today. Kirsten Dipro's joining you from ABC Warrnambool. And given that Infrastructure Victoria today released its report saying that we need 1.3 million new homes to be built in Melbourne to meet the projections of our population that will swell from 5 million people to more than 8 million over the next 30 years. Kirsten, they were talking about things like apartments and townhouses, but many other governments and many other states and territories are looking at prefabricated homes. So what else needs to come into this in order to make it work? Where does the state government come into it? Where do councils come into it? Should they be movable? Are they? Is it a short-term solution or is it a, a long-term solution? Yeah, there are so many elements to this that we really need to think through. And uh, Damien Crow is someone who's been doing that for a while. He's the director of Prefab Australia. Good morning to you, Damien. Uh, good morning and thank you for having me on your show today. You're welcome. So, you know, where is the the demand for for prefab homes? Because while there's a demand for housing, we're hearing that, you know, the prefab thing is really quite small at this stage. Yeah, look, to be honest with you, in the residential housing market, prefabrication is the most underrepresented. But if you look to other markets like healthcare, education, hotels, you know, it's a high percentage of uh, prefabrication in those high value assets. Um, so, yeah, look, at, although underrepresented at a, approximately 5% of the industry currently, it is growing rapidly and uh, we're expecting it to move to about 15% over the next three years. Gosh, that's a big jump, isn't it? And if a full board of calls and just text flowing through uh, anything to gauge, then it feels like the shift towards looking at prefab really is a solution. Is it seen, do you think, Damien, as a short-term solution or as something as, as a long-term solution? Are these homes that people considered you know, living in for 10, 20, 30 years? They, look, they're the same as, uh, you know, as you would build a conventional house on site, which is a, about a 50-year design life. That they're designed exactly the same way to, to perform the same way. However, they just perform better because they're built in a factory environment. So, you know, you get high-performing, lower energy use, and, you know, you have a really good inherent end value to the product, to the housing, because of the way it's been assembled. It can also be disassembled and reused and recycled really easily. So although people are saying that it's a it's a quick fix, this will be the way our housing is built in the future. And it, it's really interesting to see some of the amazing technology and systems and new companies that are entering the market in Australia. And we even have at Prefab Oz a, a 3D printing company that's joined our organisation. Um, and there's 3D printing of houses in concrete happening in Australia right now. So this is this is a long-term, you know, solution. This is where the market is going and this is what our uh, built environment will look like in the future. 
Is there a perception issue? You were just sort of making the case about they're better for the environment, they're, they're better quality, but we still think of them if they're sort of quick to build, quick to put up, they're cheaper, you just think the quality mustn't be there. Yeah, they're quicker to build now because we use automation automation and robotics and, and technology to build things, and that's why we can build them really fast. In the past, absolutely, the uh, the perception was probably the 1970s transportable classroom, which was ugly and, and, and cold in winter and hot in summer. But, you know, that was because we didn't have the technology then, um, and, and things have moved on a lot since then. Um, it's interesting to note the Victorian government, you know, have just spent sort of half a billion dollars on... Um, modern modular schools, permanent schools program. So they've taken out old modular transportables and replaced them with the new technology, new systems, and they're designed, like I said, for, you know, 50 years life. Stay with us for just a moment, Damien. Patrick's call from McRae. Morning, Patrick. Yeah, hi. Um, Yeah, I'm a builder and um, I was just listening to one of your other callers regarding the the temporary... um, you could probably get a temporary. You should be able to get a temporary permit from the council to, to, um, to say, utilise somebody else's land, so that you know, being being a, a um, prefabricated home or a removable home, mm-hmm. you could maybe get a five or a ten year permit, maybe with strict criteria saying it's a relative, and you intend to move it in that time, and you could on send it, sell the building. And you know, then you don't have to. You may not have to purchase the land. You just have to purchase yeah. the building. And there's and lots of conversations in. like that, Patrick, happening around tiny homes as well. But how many? I mean, is there a, a, a fairly big difference, Damien, between tiny homes and prefabricated homes, or can tiny homes also be prefab? And we are seeing councils thinking outside the square now around allowing people to put smaller dwellings and movable homes onto their own land to try and take the pressure off our housing affordability issue or just being able to find a home to live in. And are you seeing or coming up against very similar things to the tiny house movement? Uh, to be honest, we don't actually, it's probably the one sector of the industry we don't cover is tiny houses. We focus predominantly on, you know, on permanent um architecturally designed um high high performing buildings so um yeah we don't we don't really cover off that section of the market but i think to just to respond to some of those other comments um i think really what it comes down to is what is the purpose of the building if you want a home that you're going to live in and you know raise your family in then that's one particular solution and one particular product which we have many manufacturers in australia and in particular in victoria who can deliver that type of home if you just want a temporary solution that's there for a very short time there's also manufacturers that can provide that solution too so yeah i think i think it's the the market is really diverse and the market can deliver what the what the needs are but you know I think what we're talking about is really some completely different sort of um, opportunities or different um, outcomes mm. here. So I think we need to be yeah, a little bit specific around what, what we're trying to achieve. If we're talking about permanent housing... That's right. So the these aren't your typical granny flats in the backyard. This is a permanent housing solution, a different way yeah. to build permanent Correct. homes. Yeah. And it looks like any other house, if you walk down a new suburb, you know, in the streetscape, you wouldn't pick it's just it. just built differently. They, yeah. It's just built it's just been delivered in parts or in one whole part or it just in a smarter way. They, and so, and they, they're indistinguishable from you know, from regular housing. 
So, Damien, is the market being supported by governments, by councils, state government then, uh, particularly councils, I think? We've had a lot of texters and callers say that they've had, you know, issues with um, getting prefabricated homes on land. Um, is it just because there's a confusion between portable and prefab or um, does something need to change? Yeah, look, I think it changes from council to council, but um, I think the Victorian government have been really proactive in that area. Um, they've I think they've developed the uh, the e-comply tool, which is to really streamline the uh, approvals and regulation process uh, for housing, uh, and that will really you know speed things up because that seems to be um, a real issue for a lot of people who's just going through that whole uh, approvals process with councils, etc. So I think the Victorian government, yeah, very very much proactive and 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 doing what they can um, to to help the um, the industry to move forward. Damien, thanks for your time. It'll be interesting to see if it does grow at the rate that you're projecting or, if anything, if it grows a little faster to see what sort of happens. Yeah, look, I I wouldn't be surprised that if it did, if the last two years has taught us anything, if you can build something quickly, cheaply and safely and if you can build it locally as well, if it's something that can be a a local industry. we're, We're really fortunate in Victoria because, I mean, of our manufacturing members, 40% of our manufacturers are based in Victoria. And I think that may have been, um, you know, Victoria is the manufacturing state in Australia. So we do have a, a large um, manufacturing base and there's a huge amount of op- opportunities and and, and different, um, different sort of models to choose from. So, you know, our website has all of the um, the companies that are, that are members and, and what they do and how they go about it. So I'd, I'd urge the listeners to get on there and have a look. So that's prefaboz.org.au. Um, and that's Prefab AUS. And just have a look. There's plenty of opportunities, pl- plenty of solutions out um, there. There's plenty. That's right. the industry. Good to speak with you, Damien. Thank you. That's Damien Crow. He's from Prefab Australia. But we've got so many calls from people that are starting their own prefab business now. And this is an industry that is growing. And people are looking, Kirsten, and seeing that this is potentially the way of the future. Yeah, and I did a quick Google and there's lots of these companies popping up all over Melbourne, Geelong, uh, a lot around central Victoria as well, which I thought was super interesting. Jenny is in Woodend, speaking of central Victoria. Hi, Jenny. Yes, good morning. Um, I was interested to hear your um, discussion because we actually live in a prefab house which we built 12 years ago um, and it's got everything you'd ever want. I mean... It's a, the tenth house we've lived in. It's double glazed. It's heated. It's it comes. Well, we bought it in November and it was installed in May. So from the point of view of efficiency and being able to get a house built very quickly, it was ideal. And there's and, a huge shift, Jenny. I mean, you just mentioned the double glazing windows there, and because generally the footprint is smaller, they can be more environmentally sound because you can do all of the things that you wouldn't be able to do in a larger home, whether it be solar panels or double glazing. Absolutely, and also the impact on the land, because we're on a farm, is far less because there is less um, uh, site works involved in actually providing the space for where the house is going to build to the extent that I planted my whole garden before the house was delivered because it comes in by crane. So it's, you know, it's not, it's not where you have to do an enormous amount of concrete and, um, you know, development site works because it comes in and it's fitted on onto little um, stilts that actually the house sits on. 
So it's it's a fantastic way to build a house. And we've always lived in conventional houses, but we're enormously happy with where we are now. Oh, that's really good to, to hear. Thanks so much. Matt Dingle is the managing director and founder of Formflow, which manufactures prefab homes. He is also an engineer and a former university lecturer. Matt, a warm welcome to the conversation hour. It feels like there is a real shift and that potentially prefab and prefabricated homes is the future of home manufacturing in Victoria. Hi, good morning. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, there's... Um I mean, we, we talk about this as a new thing here, but uh, if you look at countries like Sweden, um, I think it's about 80% of their uh, uh, of their buildings have some prefabricated element in them. So we, we are playing catch up a little bit. Matt, I understand that you're involved in a project in Portland, which um, is using one of the airport hangars for um, prefab homes. Um, can you tell us a bit about that project? Yeah, sure. So... Um, we, we we took a, a good look at the uh, prefabricated building industry um, when we started, which uh, was about five years ago, building uh, prefabricated housing and, and realised that one, one of the disadvantages or one of the challenges that prefab does face is, is transportation. So there's a cost associated with that. So what we've done is developed a system um, which can then be set up uh, at low capital cost um, close to centres where there is a need for housing. Um, and Portland is our first uh, uh, decentralised manufacturing operation, if you like. So we, we develop the systems and processes um, at our headquarters in Geelong. And then when we've got them to the point where uh, they've all been uh, validated and and, uh, and refined, we can then create decentralised manufacturing operations, uh, largely uh, uh, in regional areas. And, uh, and Portland's the first go at that. Now, Portland, like many regional areas, is really crying out for housing and there's a lot of, um, you know, businesses, there's farms, people who need, um, you know, employees and they need housing to actually make it happen. How's the project going, though? It was announced sort of last year, but have you been able to really get the housing in? Because the idea is that we need this quickly, we need it now. Has it Has it happened? Um, look, it's happening more slowly than we would like. Um, we originally uh, embraced the Portland idea um, because we were asked uh, actually by the state government to look at whether we could do something to assist with uh, with worker housing in in, uh, in the southwest uh, and central Victorian regions now um, we've spent quite a bit of time now talking to to businesses in those areas and um, it's taking a lot longer to get that up and running than we would have liked uh, and we need to establish enough of a pipeline of work to make that all all feasible. We've also been talking to the uh, real estate community in, in Portland and the surrounding areas uh, to try and tap into these other areas of the market. Um, but it's um, it's it's more was challenging. Was that because than... the idea was to almost build like a mini estate out there at the airport hangar just for workers, short-term workers? Or was this to be seen as almost a, a permanent housing estate, Matt? Uh, no. So the, the, the model was not that clearly defined initially and I think key worker housing is all uh, is is often sort of lumped into into one category but really you've got anything from so that the, ho- the hospital in Portland is putting up their doctors and nurses and interns and so on uh, in in one style of accommodation um, it tends to be fully serviced on the other end of the spectrum you've got the uh, say the meat works in Portland or uh, uh, or in other parts of the state who are who are bringing in workers from 
uh, from the Pacific Islands and, and putting them up in an entirely different style of accommodation. And so what we're trying to do is work out where the, uh, you know, where, where, the, where the areas of, of greatest need are and where people um, are able to actually start investing in, in the worker housing because the government has talked a lot about this, but there are um, the mechanisms for helping to fund that mm. um, are only just being established now and they're not fully developed. So companies are not prepared to uh, put their own money into that housing often, although some of them are. I mean, there, there are lots of stories about companies um, uh, buying pubs or, or rooming houses and and, uh, and uh, booking out rooms in motels. Um, yeah, but- it just goes back to that thing of you sort of need everybody on the same page in order to, to make it work. Matt, thanks so much for your time. He's the Managing Director and Founder of Form Flow, Manufacturing Prefab Homes. Also an engineer and a former university lecturer. And we know that they have been really thinking outside the square in that community, Kirsten, for housing and making sure that housing is affordable and that it's accessible as well. It's happening more and more. But yeah, all the dots need to add up, don't they? Yeah, as we're finding out, and Portland is a, a very sort of, um, you know, smart community when it comes to that um, that idea. But it's funny how there's just along the pipeline those areas where you can just get stalled. Neville is in Rochester. Hi, Neville. How are you? Hey, um, I'm just letting you know the prefab uh, is not a new thing. I was brought up in a prefab house my parents purchased 55 years ago, mm. and that was from Phelan Brothers in Maryborough and there was Greens in Bendigo that uh, did the uh, portable houses. So ours come on three trucks. It was a large house, three trucks bolted together, bricked around a tile roof on it and you can walk past the place today. <laughs> Still no, there. I no, grew up no, surrounded no, by homes like that, Neville. You know, like it was just, it was very, very common depending on which part of Victoria you grew up in. Yeah, so nobody nobody can tell that it's a prefab house. Yeah. It's funny. There's a text here from Gary and it says, prefab homes may still be unfairly carrying the reputation of the UK post-war ones. They were concrete. Um, so many banks wouldn't lend on them. Lots of people, lots of areas where it is, is working now. What do you think? Maybe you grew up in one. Maybe you're thinking about building one now. And is it potentially the solution to our housing affordability crisis? This is The Conversation Hour. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Are prefab homes the solution? They've been around for a long time. The uptake has been slow, Kirsten Dipros, but as we're hearing, many from the sector are projecting that it will grow by at least 15% in the next couple of years. And I just wonder whether there is a solution staring us right in the face right now. Well, three words for you. Or maybe it's two. Latrobe Tower. So in Melbourne, that's Australia's tallest prefab building. And you, you just don't think about these things, do you? But it's, you know, you, you see it in the CBD. It's 44 storeys. Um, you know, it's got a hu- huge number of apartments. And the building rose at the rate of two floors a week, which is double the industry benchmarks. So... You know, prefab isn't what we always think it is. It can be a ginormous tower in the CBD. Dr. Jessie Lee is a senior lecturer. She's a civil and construction engineer at and civil and construction engineering at Swinburne University. Dr. Lee, I guess, can you just give us a definition of what prefabrication is? I mean, Kirsten's just talking about a huge tower. Some of us have this image of sort of pre-war small homes. What is prefabrication? Yeah, thanks um, for that. Yes, so prefabrication basically means off-site um, construction. 
So there can be few elements. It can be, you know, for example, just roof trusses, just walls or, you know, floor. So it means 2D elements. Or it could be a full 3D component, for example, you know, a whole apartment unit. Um, for example, as you have mentioned, um, with the Latrobe Tower, um, it's, it's a 3D unit and they complete it on site. But before Latrobe Tower, we actually have Little Hero um, apartment in the Melbourne CBD as well, where it's like full complete unit of apartments being transported on site. So in short, prefabricated basically means um, off-site construction. What are some of the challenges that we have with prefab in Australia? Or what's the biggest challenge we're facing at the moment? We're hearing a lot about pipeline challenges, but what would you say is the number one? Um, I guess in Australia, the familiarity and there's the perception of increased risk um, associated with builders, lenders, um, insurance, even consumers. So I guess to get over that hurdle, um, we would need, you know, government support. Mm. Um, one, to provide upskill training for the professionals, um, be it engineers, um, building surveyors, and also government support to officially recognize um, prefect construction in our national construction code and even in the planning system as well. And that way it will make things, you know, smooth. Because um, the ambiguity in our current regulatory barriers um, can be perceived as, um, mm. you know, a barrier to um, or to impede the uptake of prefab homes. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't sort of even thought about that in terms of where the, where the training for this comes into it as well and whether or not we have the workforce for the prefabricated home market, let alone the more traditional form of construction of a home. But Jesse, so often when we have these conversations, we say, look, we need the state government or we need the federal government to get on board here in order to make this happen. And we know that the state government has put into place some long-term plans. So the big build, they know how many homes need to be built by X amount of time, even though that number is, is growing. This feels like a really good interim solution. You know, this is like we need short-term and long-term solutions. Would you consider prefabricated homes just a, a, a Band-Aid solution? But you know what? Sometimes Band-Aids are really helpful. If you're bleeding, you whack a Band-Aid on it. It helps. It does the job. Um, I think like many of them have said, you know, prefab homes, they, um, if built properly, of course, with the proper quality assurance factory processes, it's meant to be of higher quality. They are meant to last um, as long as traditional houses. So I guess, you know, if we have the proper infrastructure um, to support, you know, um, I guess um, certification of um, the factory processes, the products, and a proper chain of responsibility to give assurance to everyone, then it may not be a bandit solution. You know, it would be mm. the way moving forward in the future. Thank you, Dr. Jesse Lee, uh, Senior Lecturer there, Civil and Construction Engineering at Swinburne. And we had a texter sort of saying there's another issue with the Commonwealth Games that um, that's what prefab's going to be used for as well and then repurposed um, because the Com Games are coming to regional Victoria, mm. of course, and so that's something we need to it's think about. It's a huge about. part of it. We just got, spoke about the Commonwealth Games on this program yesterday and what needs to be done and housing and housing that will last the distance of time as well. So it's one thing to house six athletes in a 
a room during the Com Games, but how can that housing be used into the future? There's a text here, and I thought of this exact image, actually, and this is from uh, and in central Victoria. It says, transportable homes have been around for years. My parents built two. The larger one was four bedrooms and two living areas. It came on three trucks. They're not like your small impressions that you're suggesting, and that was over 30 years ago. It's just like an average home. I mean, when was the last time, right, you were on the freeway and you saw a house being transported, you know, in two halves? Well, you would see Rochelle, it all the time. I, I see it a bit. I'm in regional Vic and we see dongers, which are used for, you know, um, employees. We've we've got a donger coming and they come trucked on, you know, or on these cars, on these platforms. Um, but, yeah, you don't see it so much in the suburbs or the CBD, I don't think. So where this fits into a solution for emergency housing, social housing, affordable housing, Wayne Merritt is the CEO of Waze and they provide housing responses for those who are homeless or those who are at risk of family violence. Wayne, we were just talking to Dr Lee before about, well, this might be a short-term solution, but that's okay, isn't it? We need short-term and long-term. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. So, you know, we need long-term solutions, absolutely. Everyone needs a safe, secure place or home. But the short-term solution can be the long-term solution for their forever home as well. I've just heard, you know, high quality, they're not just a kind of, you know, short-term solution. They can be long-term solutions. Are they expensive to build, Wayne? We had a texter at the start of the program say that these homes can be quite expensive to build. They're not always a cheaper option. And I would imagine that cost is something that you would be considering. Absolutely. Cost comes into what we're talking about, how we can get accommodation on the ground quickly for people in crisis. I think the overlay to this is if you balance out quickly can get things built versus the cost and versus the long-term kind of effects on people who are experiencing homelessness and family violence, then we have to weigh out what's most important here. And yes, housing is the most important piece, but also that long support of a person who's in need. Wayne, in the past when we've spoken about tiny homes as a solution, which is divided as well, some people are saying, well, look, it's a great solution. Others are saying, well, I don't want to live in a tiny home. You know, I want to live in an inverted commas, normal-sized home. And then you take that one step further to building tiny home villages. And then you'd have people saying, that's a great idea. And then you'd have other people saying, not in my backyard. And it's going to create ghetto-type slums and all sorts of reactions to it. When we talk about prefabricated villages, and we're seeing it in areas like Stall and Bendigo, that being they're considering it in uh, Port Arlington, for example. Is that something that concerns you, or do you think that it's a potentially a good idea, especially for those that are at risk? I think um, when we talk about at risk, you know, they're the same as everybody else in the community, and we see examples of prefab spaces working very well, retirement villages, those sorts of pieces, and so it's about how they're designed, and the mix that goes into them, and the support that's provided. So. That ghetto view, I would remove from the conversation. It's about who and how and where we set these spaces up for people. And, you know, that connection to community is really important. So how do we have have mixed housing for people so they can get supports wherever they are within a space that's designed around the needs of individuals? And Wayne, I think if we flip that sort of ghetto argument and then talk about, uh, you know, the benefits for society by not having people kind of go into that homelessness system... Um, because they have housing, what kind of effect does that have yeah. on an individual and then the broader community? Yeah, absolutely. So getting people housed as quick as possible and as safely as possible is number one that you want to do. You don't want people cycling through a homelessness service system, bouncing between hotels and motels, 
you don't want families living in hotels, you know, for two, three months at a time with their children with no cooking facilities. Like, we need to think about the large impact on, on the parents but on the children as well here. And mm. so how do you, or we provide housing that's appropriate for everybody to keep them them, that's them safe. And that's right, and it's gener- a generational solution, that's the idea that your kids are growing up knowing that they have a safe and secure home. Wayne, thank you so much for the work that you're doing for speaking with us today. Not a problem, thank you. Wayne Merritt is the CEO of Ways, and they provide housing and really quick and fast response for those that find themselves in the face of homelessness or family violence. This text that says prefab homes are not short-term solutions, double exclamation point. And I would agree 100%. As I said at the very beginning of this conversation, when you look back to some of the more, in inverted commas, traditional prefab homes versus some of the architecturally designed ones now, the, the traditional prefab homes, they just look like the homes I grew up surrounded by. That's what a lot of the Latrobe Valley looks like. These are homes and these are homes that have been homes for generations that will yeah. continue to be homes for generations. They're homes with dignity. Oh, absolutely. But it's interesting, your experience, you grew up with it. I grew up in, you know, suburban Western Sydney and we had a lot of um, like brick homes and um, and fibro houses mm, mm. and but and then there were these new estates that were very cookie cutter um, and that was kind of seen as as being not as um, you know well to do as other areas which you know it, it doesn't make any sense to me you know a no. comfortable house if you turn it into a home it's still a home yeah, right? and that's it you still got the safety and the security of a home and if you've ever been down the face of not having a home then you know you would flip that concept. Celia's in King Lake. Oh, actually in Marysville. Good morning, Celia. Good morning. Um, we're actually getting a prefab home built in Tasmania in Charlotte Cove from a very reputable firm over there. And it's they're beautiful. You can ask, you know, whether you want two, three, four bedroom, whether you want one, two bathrooms. Um, they're going to go out onto our block and look at it and then say which ones they think are best designed for solar. They're all double glazed and they're established and I have just as much trust in them <laughs> as a builder. And there's some interesting text here, Celia. Some saying, you know, are prefab homes, are they built with sustainable materials? Are they energy efficient? You know, will they become the, the slums of the future? Please raise these questions. It's time to think long-term as bad design, especially if it's not sustainable. I'm seeing a lot of really sustainable and environmental thinking when it comes to prefab. Has that been your experience? Yes, we built another home just recently and it was only we requested double glazing, whereas straight away these modular homes said they come with double glazing. I said, I want really good insulation. Yes, they do. They're looking at north facing for solar. Um, and I think actually they try harder because modular has this, what's the word? Everyone's looking at it negatively. So you've got to try that extra bit harder mm-hmm. to please people. Yeah. And then try and bust the stereotype a little bit. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Celia, for calling in. I think it's a good point now to speak to an architect, you know. Celia's talking about her well-designed home and Brett Dunn is with us. He's a co-founder and director of Tax Studio for Architecture. Welcome to the program, Brent. Uh, good morning uh, from you and country. Ah, and um, tell us about prefabrication and what you can do with it from an architectural point of view that perhaps we're not thinking about as a society? Um, yeah, look, the, the, thanks, um, Rochelle and Kirsten. It's nice to be talking to you. The um, Prefabrication is, is a really interesting term. Um, the, the, 
it is really unlimited in terms of our construction processes what we what we can do with it um it 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 is um often forgotten that you know most of our homes any even standard homes wall trusses wall frames roof trusses kitchens window joinery they're all already made off-site so this leap um to building more of the building you know off-site and and bringing it here isn't in my view something that's a great revelation and as many callers have pointed out it's been done since the earliest buildings in australia mm. um and 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 before that even you know a tent is a great example of a prefabricated shelter so what we're talking about i think here is um I, I think the the solution in terms of the affordability um needs to be as diverse as the problem is um each of the callers have got a specific you know area of expertise that they're in and i think we're the, the the thing that ties it all together is that they all really need to be well considered so all of the concerns about them being engineered down to a you know a cost effective yet cheap version of themselves of a house um, uh, can be addressed just by making sure that each of the dwellings are carefully considered they're designed well yeah. they're sited appropriately they've got you know somebody working on them and i think that's where an, an architect is, you know, well positioned to kind of assist with the with, with with the kind of shaping of the direction of this industry. And just judging from the calls and the, the texts that we've had today, from the amount of companies that we can see that are looking into prefabrication, with that, does it bring problems, Brent? You know, in that not everyone is going to do it at a high level. People are going to try and make it faster and cheaper you know, with popularity or come snake oil salespeople in, you know? <laughs> well, look, unfortunately, that's our commercial world, isn't it? Um, yeah. You know, if there are profits to be made, people will find a way to make them at the expense of the end user. Um, the, the, the reality is that, you know, the more educated the public become in demanding their homes perform well, are sited well, um, you know, are, are, are considerate of their neighbourhoods and, and their neighbours, mm. I think the better we're going to be as a society to demand more of of this industry. Look, we're, we, we've run a prefabricated construction company for a number of years as well and um, uh, have faced many challenges with trying to create, you know, affordable housing products at the high end. But effectively, you're hamstrung by quality, cost and area. So if you want to keep the quality up, you've got to either increase the cost or you've got to make a smaller building. So there's definitely some answers in in expectation management for us. I mean, I grew up in a, in a govy in, in Canberra at some point, um, and it was a really modest house. And I think people forget a lot that this great Australian dream mm. possibly isn't about the house. It's possibly about the fact that there's actually some space around it. There's actually some ability to connect with the landscape around you. There's breezes, there's sun, all of these things that are already here that I think we've got to be very careful in um, in, in asking about housing affordability and delivery of houses, saying more and more and more. We need more, sure, but we need appropriate. We need well-considered. We need uh, nuanced kind of diverse housing solutions that don't destroy the very essence of the place that people came to that place to live in before, you know, the reason they came there in the first mm. place.
it's uh, not about how many toilets or bathrooms you have. <laughs> well, we no. spoke about <laughs> off-air before today's show, Kirsten, about, well, you know what, maybe we need to go back to sharing bedrooms, you know? We all grew up with bunk beds and sharing bedrooms. Homes and one toilet. To, and one toilet. <laughs> Homes yeah. don't need to be huge. But I think you made a really good point, Brent, as well, about considering things outside of the house, so whether that's the sunshine, but, but also where you live is really important, that urban planning side, you know, and, and the Infrastructure Victoria report released today, you know, spoke about the issue of transport and amenities not keeping up Mm. with urban sprawl. So if we're talking about these quick solutions, how do we make sure we've got the amenities and the transport to match Mm. the houses that are there? Look, that's one of the biggest issues. I mean, where we've we're practicing for the last decade in, in the Illawarra, the you know, the development there is is causing great pressures on the infrastructure. And you start to see the tensions rise as 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 the pressure builds and it really is due to the fact that the level of development that it now is seeing is it was not foreseen in the in the infrastructure and the spending on it has not kept up. So when we start thinking about, well, let's start opening up new tracts of land for housing, we have to remember that at some point they're going to develop with a density and, and perhaps we need to be considering the density at the outset rather than the sprawl. And I know in Queensland, this is what they're calling the biggest housing solution that they've ever embarked on since World War II. And predominantly what they're doing is building these houses and then shipping them, trucking them to parts of regional Queensland. And you're one of the founding board directors of the Regional Architecture Association. As someone that represents regional Victoria or regional Australia, is this a really good solution for different parts of the regions where there might be more land, where there might be more ways to bring in all of the surroundings as well? Or is this something more of an urban solution, do you think? Look, I I think it's irrelevant of urban or non-urban. The point here is that there needs to be consideration of the place that they're going to. And that starts from the the site analysis, the social... um, area it, it 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 really is a call to say in my view you really need to engage with local trained experts in this in in the in the local architects because they've got an understanding of the community they're embedded in the communities they understand the values that are shared within those communities and i think for any scheme like this to be successful it's going to have to understand the fact that um you know the daintree is not the same as ballarat yeah there's so many great solutions coming through. Brent, it's been wonderful speaking with you. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Brent Dunn, he is one of the directors and one of the founding members of the Regional Architecture Association of Australia and also the co-founder and director of Tax Studios. More and more people are thinking this is a solution for me. Kirsten Dipros, they've been around for a long time. What's fascinating, though, is what's their future? You know, we know what they are. We know where they, they can look fantastic. Are they a good short-term but also long-term solution? I would hands down today say yes, they are. (laughs) (laughs) I love your definitive opinion at the end. I'm Look, I'm really fascinated. The design work and the new technology that's going Mm. into them is really exciting. Um, But we really need our banks, our councils, our state government to make sure all of those bits in between along the pipeline are, are flowing to actually make it happen, to have good communities. I mean, it's a perennial problem about making sure we have good communities with proper housing and proper amenities. And prefab is 
a potential solution. Yeah. But, you know, there's a whole lot of things on the table at the moment. And workforce, you know, are we going to need a, a, a different trained workforce? Are we going to need a greater workforce or less workforce? How much of this is going to be robotics? I mean, yeah, so there's a lot. There's a lot of water to go under the bridge. I'm not saying I have all yeah. of those solutions. I think prefab's <laughs> maybe just one of the solutions. Yeah. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.